Hear these words from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him, saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice, so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And God will not grant justice to his chosen and will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? May God add a blessing upon the reading of this word. Will you pray with me? God, for the gift of your holy scripture, we give you thanks. We ask that your words be heard among the words that I share today. May it be your voice that propels above and changes our hearts and our minds. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Do we have a future preacher in the... (laughs) In the congregation. of our dreams. We're so blessed. My child got accepted to the school of his choice. What a blessing. I just got a raise at work. God has blessed me immensely. When asked what it means to be blessed, these are often the types of responses that I hear from people. What I'm wondering, though, is do these examples encompass all of what it means to be blessed? We often equate being blessed to receiving material goods or having our own desires fulfilled. It makes sense. I mean, after all, our culture has taught us that we are successful when we have the right cars, the right house, the right family structure, the right health, education, and friends. And it's when we achieve these successes that we believe God has blessed us. The Oxford English Dictionary defines blessing as God's favor or protection. That becomes a little problematic when we have understood that through our lens of how we have defined success. If we simply look at God's favor as bestowing us with material riches or keeping us healthy, then what about those who are sick or are poor, are forgotten or abused? What about those who are incarcerated, minimized, or homeless? Has God not chosen to bless them? Throughout the four weeks of our stewardship series, we will be reminded of what it means to be blessed by God and how we can use this blessing that we've received to bless others. Last week, Pastor Lou reminded us that it is a blessing to give thanks to God at all times and in all places, 
It is when we give thanks for all that God has truly blessed that our hearts become closer to God's heart and we see the world as God sees the world. This week we focus in on the blessing it is to be persistent. And we find ourselves landing in this strange parable as told by Jesus. Luke begins the parable by explaining to his community that Jesus has shared this parable as a way to illustrate the need to always be in prayer. I don't know about you, but this parable seems like an odd one to explain why it's necessary for us to be in constant prayer. Here we have a widow going to the courtroom to ask a judge for justice against her adversary. She approaches him time and time again, and it is her badgering which wears him down into granting her justice. Now what on earth does this mean for us? When I ask this question of people, these are some of the responses that I have heard. Well, I've heard it preached that God wants us to pray so much that our badgering is relentless, and it is then that God will hear us. Or, I've also heard, I've been taught that when we pray without ceasing, God will hear us and grant us that which we are wanting. I'd like to think that we've all probably had experiences in our prayer life where we have had a certain desire and asked God for something, and it has not been answered in the way we had hoped for. So what if there's possibly a little more nuance to the parable than what we've just uh, spoken about? Dr. Amy Jill Levine points out that the biblical widows are the most conventional of unconventional figures. Expected to be weak, they move mountains. Expected to be poor, they prove savvy managers. Expected to be exploited, they take advantage where they can find it. Widows, like all women, like all humans, have complex personalities and not always transparent motives. We don't actually know why the woman keeps coming to the judge day after day. We don't know what infraction it is that she's seeking justice for or what motivated her not to give up. We don't actually know anything about the judge other than he is described as one who does not believe in God and one who does not respect people. What we do know is that all human beings are complicated and multidimensional. We are never just one version of ourselves, and neither is the widow or the judge in this parable. We also know that Jesus describes the widow as one who shows up again and again in front of the judge, despite whatever obstacles may be in her way. Obstacles can lead even the most persistent person to fatigue and want to give up. It is exhausting to face the same thing time and time again only to be shot down. Over the past couple of weeks, I have had the privilege of sitting down with some of Stony Brook's charter members. It was a delight to spend time with Jean Brown and Donna and Bruce Rowe. Having just left a church that was over 160 years old, 
I didn't have the opportunity to talk to any of the founding members. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. <laughs> so I was excited to be able to talk with some of the members from Stony Brook and hear about the early days. I was curious. What kept their energy high? What kept their persistence going as they worked to establish this church that we call Stony Brook? If you've ever been a part of founding a new worshiping community, you, can, you know that it can be the most exhilarating of experiences, but it is also very hard work. The obstacles can seem endless as practical matters like money and location and equipment can be a barrier to your work. So in 1959, initial steps were taken for a new Methodist church right here in Gahanna by 15 members of Shepherd Methodist Church. One year later, the church, we now call Stony Brook, was... Um, was established and had its first worship service in Lincoln Elementary School. Stony Brook, if you didn't know, was originally called Mifflin Methodist Church. By 1961, the congregation was officially chartered with, chartered with 93 members. And the property that we are now on was purchased and plans began to unfold to build a new church on this property. At the same time, the name of the church went from Mifflin Methodist to Stony Brook Methodist Church. And as the plans to build moved forward, the congregation continued to worship in Lincoln Elementary until this space was available. Jean and Bruce and Donna will tell you that the congregation increased rather quickly. When I asked them what attributed what they thought attributed to the rapid increase in attendance, they all shared stories of camaraderie, stories of camaraderie that bound the congregation together. They said the congregation was excited and it functioned much like a small group. They loved each other, they supported each other, they worshiped together, and they played together. They were committed to this church. They believe that this is what others saw and what others were drawn to and why they started attending Stony Brook Church. In the early days, those who were involved in establishing Stony Brook put in many hours to do whatever it took in order to get the church up and running. They canvassed the neighbors, neighborhoods telling people about the new congregation. They held picnics and other outreach events in order to invite people and welcome them into this space. Raising the finances necessary for the construction of this building was particularly challenging for them. Jean will tell you that some of the giving was so small that some may find it forgettable. And while the amount may have been small in the eyes of some people, Bruce will tell you that people gave and gave and gave some more. They gave until it hurt, and then they gave some more. Their commitment to this new worshiping community was unshakable. But it was not easy. There were disagreements. Vandalism occurred during the construction of the original part of the building, and this was particularly painful for the congregation. 
But all of this invited this new congregation to figure out creative ways to be in community together. They survived the disagreements, and they figured out that they needed to add dark wood to Wesley Hall in order to cover the vandalism that had occurred. As Jean says, with every action that we took, our faith grew stronger. The early members believed that Stony Brook was blessed by God, not because everything came easy, but because they believed they were following God's guidance to charter a new church. They were faithful and they were persistent. Our early members aren't unlike the widow in the parable. They kept coming back day after day, doing the work they believed they were to be doing. They followed God's call in their lives in faithful ways. And part of the beauty and blessing of working alongside others in community is that when one tires, there's others still walking alongside doing the work as you rest. Here's the thing. The blessing didn't stop after the church was established. These early members were so on fire for Jesus that they created a community that was desired by others. Sunday school was offered, youth group established, choir started, the United Methodist men and United Methodist women were chartered. The doors were open to community groups like Alcoholics Anonymous, Boy Scouts, and so many others. The blessing spread far beyond the walls of this facility out into the community. Those who did not know God were being affected by the blessing God had placed on the people here at Stony Brook Church. By the mid-1960s, the membership had grown to almost 300 people. And by the early 1970s, it's roughly 10 years, membership was around 800 people. Bruce said these numbers are bewildering. It was his dream that they would grow to about 200 that God took this work that they did and blessed it and increased it so much is staggering. I wonder how many lives have been touched because Stony Brook has been a church for the past 58 years. Membership has risen, it's fallen, it's risen, and it continues to go on and on, as is the normal process in churches. A preschool was established, Pastors have come and gone. Missions and ministries of the church have ebbed and flowed. Justice has been sought. People have been cared for, cried over, prayed for. Loved ones have been buried. Couples have been married. And new life has been born and baptized into the life of Christ. God's persistence through this community is awe-inspiring. This week, I made a mistake. I know it's hard to believe. <laughs> My husband is giving me a look right now like, no, it's not. <laughs> I made a mistake because what I generally do on my days off is I am pretty intentional about filling my time with things that give me life and things that are soothing for my soul. 
My mistake this week was to listen to an interview. It was a man interviewing a number of uh, male Christian leaders. They are well known throughout the country. And they, uh, the interviewer started off by asking the men on the panel, please tell me how you respond when you hear this woman's name. And he said the name of a high-profile Christian woman, whose name I have decided not to share out of respect for her and because I know that her work has been instrumental in many people's faith here at Stony Brook Church. And so the interviewer uh, mentioned the name of the woman, and the first man to respond said, Go home. The audience, the panel, and the interviewer all laughed. Now, just in case anyone was unclear what he meant by go home, he continued to answer, he continued to explain himself. There is no biblical rationale for a woman preacher. Period. Paragraph ended. End of conversation. After seven and a half minutes of listening to this man, these men degrade and destroy not only this woman, but any woman who has ever been in leadership within a church, I decided I had had enough. As the day went on, I continued to process what I had heard, and the widow from this parable kept entering my mind. She was relentless in coming before the judge, time and time again to get her justice. She did not rest until justice had been granted. The parable says the judge was eventually worn down by her. Why was this? Was she a threat to his existence? Is this possibly a part of what the parable might be trying to teach us? That the church is a threat to the existence of systems of oppression and hatred? Because we know that Jesus taught us that the world looks different through God's eyes. Jesus spent his time with those others despised. He touched the untouchable. He restored dignity to the discarded, and he loved the unlovable. Jean Brown was the first person that I interviewed for my sermon. And as I sat with her and listened to her share her stories, I was overcome with emotion and gratitude for those early people who founded Stony Brook Church. If they had not persisted through their challenges, if God had not persisted through them, none of us would be here. We get to be here because of our charter members. We get to be in community with each other because some before us did the hard work of raising money and telling people about Jesus and figuring out what it meant for Stony Brook to be a community. We get to care for one another. We get to worship and learn and celebrate communion. We get to baptize others, cry, talk, hold hands, eat, sing, laugh. We even get to fight with each other. 
because others came before us to do the hard work. And we get to be here because God's persistence, as seen through our founding members, was unflappable. But the hard work is not over, friends. God still needs us to be persistent. Justice still needs to be done. There's still hate in the world. People are still living without homes. There's violence. People are unloved, ignored, and so many of us are broken. Jesuit priest Father Gregory Boyle describes the hard work of community this way. He says, we inch ourselves closer to creating a community of kinship such that God might recognize it. Soon, we imagine, with God, this circle of compassion. Then we imagine no one standing outside of the circle, moving ourselves closer to the margins so that the margins themselves will be erased. We stand there with those whose dignity has been denied. We locate ourselves with the poor and the powerless and the voiceless. At the edges, we join the easily despised and the readily left out. We stand with the demonized so that the demonizing ends. We situate ourselves right next to the disposable so that the day will come when we stop throwing people away. No one is to be thrown away. And if you have ever heard the words, go home, Please know, you are already home. You are in a community filled with God's blessing. Each and every person is important. It doesn't matter your gender, your race, your culture, your sexual orientation, your level of wealth, your physical or emotional ability, or anything else. You matter because you are loved by me, by your church, and most importantly, by God. God has blessed our community. We are each complex and nuanced beings. This is a part of the way that God blesses us. Give thanks for our complexities and be persistent in the face of adversity, for it is in our persistence that God's loving faithfulness shines and the blessings continue to flow. Amen.